Good evening. This is George Herman recording in Washington. In the McCarthy Army hearings, committee counsel Jenkins moved today from direct examination to cross-examination of Roy M. Cohn. The top McCarthy aide continued calm and cool as Mr. Jenkins switched from his friendly to his unfriendly role. Cohn's answers were quiet and deliberate, and they formed a backdrop against which a series of dramatic and important clashes subsequently took place. On Friday, May 28th, as beaches and public parks opened for Memorial Day weekend, families hopped in their cars, turned on the radio dial, and heard the continuing testimony of McCarthy's attorney, Roy Cohn, during the Army McCarthy hearings. CBS Radio was there. The statements that security laws carefully drawn up to protect the nation are the responsibility of the executive branch of the government. It said they could not be violated by any individual who might seek to set himself above the law or the President of the United States. That news soon percolated into the hearings. And for a detailed report on the day's events, here is Bill Costello. The morning session began with committee counsel Jenkins concluding his direct examination of Roy Cohn. His final questions, dealing with Cohn's charges against the Army, took up the Perez case. The case of the major in the dental corps who was given an honorable discharge after pleading the Fifth Amendment. Cone said he began warning John Adams in December about Perez, and then brought the story up to mid-February when Perez was questioned by the McCarthy subcommittee. He went on. On the 18th, Mr. Adams was in New York when Major Perez appeared in public session. The 18th of what month? February, and that's the date Mr. Adams gave me back that money, sir. Paid me that money. Then uh, General Zwicker appeared that afternoon, and I won't go into that other than to say uh, General Zwicker had been cooperative with representatives of the staff, a representative of the staff of the subcommittee who had privately interviewed General Zwicker. Cohn played a major role in McCarthy's crusade. He helped create the Lavender Scare, which claimed overseas communists blackmailed closeted government employee homosexuals into passing on secrets convinced that the employment of homosexuals was now a threat to national security. President Eisenhower signed an executive order on April 29, 1953. It banned homosexuals from working for the federal government. And he just didn't give any answers, just was quiet about the whole thing. Cohn also saw that colleague G. David Shine received special treatment when he was drafted to the U.S. Army in 1953. He contacted military officials from the Secretary of the Army down to Shine's company commander and demanded that Shine be given light duties, extra leave, and exemption from overseas assignment. Quiet and not give the committee the information. That did not help relations between Senator McCarthy and Mr. Adams at that point, and the senator was quite annoyed about it. This castle over General Swicker developed. It was this behavior that hastened McCarthy's downfall as during these hearings, both Cohn and McCarthy claimed the Army was holding Shine hostage to squelch McCarthy's communist investigations. ...to see if we could not avoid the further questioning of people like General Zwicker and get in instead the person who had given General Zwicker and others the orders to keep quiet. Cohn testified from May 27th through June 2nd. I thought in justice to General Zwicker and the officers involved that the proper person to produce was the man who had given the orders silencing General Zwicker and these other officers and let that man tell why he had ordered them to defy this subcommittee. Mr. Adams did not agree, and I remember we got into a, it was supposed to be a short conversation, but we got into an extended discussion of the Perez case, in the course of which I told Mr. Adams 
that I had warned him about that case for a period of months and that he had done nothing about it. He admitted that. He said, I think he had written one letter or made one phone call and had forgotten to follow it up or hadn't followed it up. Then I took up the question of the honorable discharge. And Mr. Adams said, well, he just wasn't going to delay it. And he didn't delay it. And that was that. Uh, and he said, anyway, you seem to think the proof on Perez was awfully strong. I don't. On cross-examination, Jenkins reverted to the testimony of Army witnesses, attempting to bring out the opposing versions of various incidents. He asked Mr. Cohn about a conversation with Army Secretary Stevens in the latter's office October 2nd, and Cohn, taking issue with Stevens' testimony, gave this account. Mr. Stevens stated that Shine was going to take basic training like everybody else, that right after basic training, Mr. Stevens had planned out an assignment for Shine, whereby Shine was going to be in attendance as an observer at various intelligence schools of the Army for the purpose of reviewing textbooks and other matters and report directly to Mr. Stevens on that subject. Uh, this discussion followed a talk with Mr. Stevens on that occasion in which Mr. Stevens told us that he had been greatly disturbed by the General Partridge testimony over the use of communist, pro-communist literature and communist indoctrination literature by Army intelligence and in these schools. Mr. Stevens also told us that a day or two before October 2nd, he had, he, Mr. Stevens, had had a long talk with a major, whose name he had gotten from us, I believe, teaching at an Army intelligence school, I believe out at Halliburton, Maryland, that from the outline the major gave him as to the type of literature they were using, from the Partridge situation and other reports which he had gotten, he, the secretary, was very much disturbed about the whole situation and that he was looking forward to using Shine to his great advantage in going over these text materials and going to these schools and reporting to Mr. Stevens. Uh, I believe, sir, it's, I have no clear recollection, but it's perfectly possible or probable that I ask Mr. Stevens at that point, if during the basic training, wherever that was, some arrangement could be made for staff members to contact Mr. Shine in case of an emergency or in case there was something which we might need for him. That, uh, uh, to the best of my recollection, is the substance of what occurred on that occasion. And there are some prior discussions with Mr. Stevens about this Shine assignment, which we have not covered. If you want to, I will. If you don't, I will. But on October 2nd, you did suggest to him that there might be occasions when you would want to consult with Mr. Shine about committee work. That's perfectly possible, sir, and I do not deny it. So, Mr. Cohn, uh, that makes some eight or ten times up to that time, October 2nd that you had talked to somebody in the Pentagon about David Shine being made available to you, doesn't Or about a commission party. Near the end of the morning session, Mr. Jenkins asked for Mr. Cohn's version of the angry episode at Fort Monmouth, October 20th, when Cohn was excluded from a secret laboratory and was charged with saying he would wreck the army in reprisal. Jenkins asked him, 
Well, you heard Lieutenant Ballou testify. Colonel Ballou, I did, sir. Colonel Ballou. And I read further from his testimony, Mr. Cohn, same page of the transcript, quoting, quoting Mr. Cohn. I don't understand why you let communists work in here and you won't let me in. Did you say that? That sounds a lot more like me, sir. Sounds a lot like you. That sounds a lot more like me now, than the previous thing. Yes, sir. That <laughs> declaration of war you mean doesn't sound like Roy Cohn when he's mad? No, sir. What sounds like me when I'm mad is they let communists in here and they don't let us in. Yes, sir. Voting further. Let's see if now if this sounds like you. I have been cleared for classified information. That sounds like me, and that was the Well, fact. had you been cleared for classified information, Mr. Cole? Not only that, sir, I had a specific secret clearance from the Defense Department. I have access to FBI files when, the, when, uh, when I want, want them. Did you say that? Colonel Ballou is a little bit mistaken in terminology, sir, and I would like what, to... What, what then was the terminology about the FBI files? I don't recall the exact statement. I can tell you this, Mr. Jenkins. I did not say that I currently have access to FBI files or that I can see them whenever I want them. Neither did Colonel Blue say that now, Mr. Cohen. Get his word. What does he say? I have access to FBI right, files sir. when I want them. Did All you right, say sir. that? I did not say I have access to FBI files when I want them. Then I ask you what you did say All about right, sir. the FBI and, files. And this is important to me, and I hope I may be permitted on this one point, to explain. Any time I cut you off, Mr. Cohn, I don't mean to you, do it. You do not cut me off, oh, Very Mr. well, very well. You, you call me down. I, now, uh, what did you say about the FBI no, file? No right or reason to call you down, sir. I want to answer every question. On this particular point, uh, it is important. I did not say, and I could not have said, that I have access to FBI files. Because, sir, since I have come with this committee, I have not had access to FBI files, and I have never seen an FBI file. And I would like to make that very clear under oath to end any statement by anybody that I, while with this committee, have seen access, have seen FBI files or have had them. That is not true. Before I came with the subcommittee, sir, I was with the Department of Justice for a number of years dealing with prosecutions of communists and subversives and spies. I did have access to FBI files. I did use FBI files extensively. Were it not for FBI files, we could not have obtained a single...